We're glad you could join us for episode 86 of Fatalist. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne. How you doing? Good to be back, Wayne. It is good to be back. And uh, the brief hiatus here is completely my fault. Well, and, well uh, no, it's just, my parents' fault, too. Right, uh, right. And, okay, and right. my wife's parents. Yeah, yeah my, well, basically, actually, my parents for, you know, conceiving me. Well, it's the same with us. Like, like the listeners, we had... Uh, Wayne's birthday, my birthday, and my wife's birthday in the span of about six days. And uh, while we were prepared to do the podcast, we just couldn't find time to record. Yeah, that's, that's what happens when you got family and they want to like make a big fuss. So. Yeah, I hear you. So, uh, but speaking of making a big fuss, we'd love to hear from you listeners via email at fatalistpodcast at gmail.com. Or the See, web- that segue actually worked that time. <laughs> I know, though. You can go to the website at fatalist.podbean.com where you can leave a voicemail via the speak pipe tab or just record your own audio clip and send the MP3 as an attachment. But tonight we're here to discuss Season 1, Episode 11 of James Cameron's cyberpunk series Dark Angel starring Jessica Alba and Michael Weatherly. But before we get to that, Wayne, do we care that so many people are mischaracterizing Doctor Who as season eight? You know, it's series eight. Season eight was on the air, like what, in the early 70s? Right. You know, I mean, I know it's not a big deal, but... It definitely bothers me. I mean, this is, and especially even the critics and the, you know, the, the the people that are writing about it and blogging about it, people that should know better. It's not season eight; it's series eight. Um, <laughs> you don't care. I care. I don't care <laughs> at at all. Not not in the least. But because uh, I'm probably one of those people that interchangeably uses. It. I I know that series eight is the right way, but you know. Okay. Well, what happened before 2005 doesn't really matter anyway, right? Well, that's true, I guess. So, <laughs> well, see, I mean, you, you brought up Doctor Who, and I thought you were going to go with, you know, like the overreactions we've seen out there to some of the stuff that has happened in Series Eight. Uh, you know, for right now, I'm going to uh, you you're, you're just definitely step aside from that one. Yes, huh? you're not going to uh, let me bring it up. All right, and we might revisit it at some point, but for right now, I'll, uh, you know, I'll keep my mouth shut. But Alrighty then. All right. Well, listen. We you know we didn't get any listener email per se, uh, but we did get a Twitter message from Davia Archibald, who is a frequent contributor to Liberate a Continuum podcast. And she says, Dave and Wayne, I've been enjoying your reviews of Dark Angel. I tried watching it before, but didn't make it. Thanks for giving me the appreciation. So, Davia, really appreciate you checking in with us. And I hope you're enjoying it as much as we are, because uh, we're having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, it's it's definitely fun and cool and, uh, you know, not bad for an old chick. Nah, really. Um, The the show, not not Davia. Yeah, right. It wasn't making uh, any kind of disparaging. Right, and not disparaging just remarks. Oh, just turned twenty work. in the show. Right, but, uh, but actually, you know, I saw that the uh, was it sci-fi is playing the Fantastic Four movies. Really? Okay. Yeah. So I mean, they are really, really bad. I'm not going to lie to you, but I might go back and watch them just to see, like, you know, Jessica Alba in that role. I mean, I've seen them. She's actually pretty decent in them, but uh, you know, now that we've seen some Dark Angel, maybe go back. I don't know if I can, though. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, that that sounds like the kind of thing I love doing until I actually do it. 
Right. Well, maybe I should just make you watch them since you haven't seen them yet. Good point. Yeah. Or better yet, make my brother watch them. Oh, <laughs> speaking of my brother, I'm talking to my mother. Nice segue here. I'm talking to my mother over the... Uh, They're guess, two for two, man. Just keep it going. Keep it going. On Saturday. <laughs> and she says, uh, you know, how's your uh, podcast going? And, you know, the perfunctory, how's it, you know. And I said, yeah, it's going, going real well. And she's like, uh, so what is it you do? I said, well, I, you know, I do, uh, you know, this older show with Jessica Alba, Dark Angel. You probably never heard of it. She said, no. Nah. And then, you know, and then this other show that's, that's currently on that, that I know you don't, you know, you don't know anything about. She's like, what? I'm like, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. She says, excuse me? Colson? I'm like, really? <laughs> she goes, yes. I'm Mom's like, all over Agents of yeah, S.H.I.E.L.D. Huh? I'm telling you, I got to like it. So. Yeah. Anyway, that was my surprise for the weekend from mom. Yeah, so. be, if my if my parents admitted that they watch Agents of Shield, I would be flabbergasted. Yeah. So, anyway, well, listen. In sci-fi news this week, let's return to Doctor Who for a second. And here we go. Speaking do- of Doctor Who, as Doctor Who series eight has come to an end, save for the Christmas special, showrunner Stephen Moffat's given the fans an early holiday present. Now, not that we didn't suspect it already, but Moffat has confirmed that the 12th Doctor, Peter Capaldi, will be returning for Series 9, though whether or not companion Jenna Coleman will be accompanying our Time Lord on the TARDIS remains to be seen. And, uh, you know, I guess it seems like all indications that she will not be back. So I guess she wants to pursue a film career or, yeah, who knows. Well, after her strong turn in Captain America, I can now see that. (laughs) Yeah, good point. Did she even? I don't even know if she had any lines in that movie. Uh, I don't think she did, but I could be wrong. I've only seen it the one time, but I did recognize her. So yeah, yeah, totally. It was Jenna Coleman. Uh, but why did they have to like? I mean, really? Did they? Were, were there no American actresses who could play that part? Yeah, maybe they didn't film it in America. I don't know. Who knows? But you know, it's like this is like kind of this thing, like Band of Brothers, for example. Take Band of Brothers. Uh, it's old now, right? It's like 2001 it was made, but like all the actors, and it's about this American company of American soldiers, and all the actors are British, Irish, and Scottish. Yeah. I'm like, were there no American actors? Now, some of them are. There's like like three. Donnie Wahlberg's in it, and uh, the guy from Office Space is in it. But, you know, it's like, really? Neil McDonough is in it, who, he's the guy with the handlebar mustache in the Captain America movies. Yeah. So, uh, well, actually, that's uh, kind of a good segue where where I wanted to go next with the you're, you're just reaching like there's no with, with, with the other news item though. and you okay. know, if you've been paying attention to the science fiction press, you can't help but notice that ABC's Agent Carter series, which will use the backdrop of Shield's birth as its principal stage. Well, it now appears that the ABC mid season edition has added a character with a major connection to Iron Man two. Comicbook.com is reporting actor Costa Ronan, the Americans, will play Anton Vanko in the ABC series scheduled to debut January 6, 2015, with the first of eight episodes. Uh, Anton Vanko is the father to Marvel supervillain Ivan Vanko, a.k.a. Whiplash, who was introduced in Iron Man 2 and played by Mickey Rourke. Now, the elder Vanko is referenced in Iron Man 2 as Ivan is driven to kill Tony Stark because of the souring relationship between Howard Stark and Anton. Now, in the Marvel Universe, Anton claims he co-created Stark's arc reactor technology with Howard, Tony's father, raising the possibility maybe we'll see a plot point regarding this in the Agent Carter prequel series. Uh, 
Oh, most definitely, yeah, you will. I, yeah, you would hope. I mean, how how could they not? Now, mm-hmm. uh, Dominic Cooper will portray young Howard Stark, and it seems like it will see some sparring between him and young Anton. Some critics have also speculated that Agent Carter, the series, will explore the origins of ARC technology. And if you're not already aware, Agent Carter will occupy Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s Tuesday night, 8 p.m. slot while Coulson and gang are on break. Yeah, that should be. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that, especially you go back and watch, you know, Captain America, the, the first one. And you're just like that. That's a really cool group of of characters that doesn't get explored too deeply in that movie. Yeah. And, you know, I really wasn't all that excited, particularly when I just seen the stills from the series with Agent Carter. And then, you know, once I saw her introduced in the, you know, the little cameo, I guess, in, in S.H.I.E.L.D., Got a little more excited, but then, you know, in the Captain America movies, I'm just really looking forward to it. I really love that that World War II period, you know, between the, the dress and, and the, the language and uh and you've got yeah. and you've got built in villains with the Nazis. Yep, yep. I was just saying Dominic Cooper is the guy who played Howard Stark in the movies too. So he was really good. Yeah. So anyway, um, We are here tonight to talk about Dark Angel episode 11, titled Red, which aired on January 16th, 2001, and it was a story by James Cameron and Charles Egley, but the teleplay was written by Iris Stephen Bear and Renee Echeverria. It was directed by Michael Cattleman, who also directed episode three entitled Heat. Now, a couple of things uh, struck me, Wayne, about this one is that number one, we had no Lidecker in this episode. Right. Uh, I did I noticed that. Oh, uh, we had virtually no jam pony, though we do get our obligatory where's Max scene. <laughs> right. uh, uh, a scene that's eh, I don't know, getting a little tiresome for me. I know you're gonna say comic relief and Right, but there was so little of jam pony in this at all. You know, they just it was, I think it was just mostly, hey, remember these guys are, are still around, you know, kind right. of thing. And now they have to pay them. Uh, right. The other interesting thing is we we never see Max and Logan together during the episode, and you know the reality is they were probably filming a couple different episodes at the same time, and uh, you know they, uh, you know they they probably write the scripts this way once in a while just to take best advantage of you know the actors and the uh, technical crews, but you know I thought thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Now the other thing is. Is there something special about Max's yellow tinted glasses that she always wears when she's riding her motorcycle? Well, I don't, maybe it has something to do with her, you know, cat vision because she doesn't really need. I mean, she doesn't need sunglasses at night. But I'm saying like she doesn't need assistive any kind of you know eyesight help or anything. She's got like the super cat's eye stuff. So maybe I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah. They just try to look. She she looks cool in them. Well, right? I was going to say she's at night and it's night. She's wearing sunglasses as she's tearing around on a motorcycle, and she's just supposed to be how badass is this chick, right? I guess they don't have helmet laws in Seattle in uh, 2020, right? Yeah, yeah. And if they do, they they definitely have you know wear a helmet, but and you know not your sunglasses. Yeah. Now the other thing that struck me, and and you know I, I know you certainly mentioned this when we talked last last week, and we'll get to it later, but. You know, this is really an episode that was just filled with mistakes that Max makes, and yeah, uh, no, no doubt. Yeah, so we'll get we'll get to that uh, in a little bit. But 
the opening scene, Max is preparing a hot bath by boiling 20 pots of water while Kendra teases her with stories about her man who can go all night. But I love the scene in the hallway. It's like, hey, we stole the power first. It's ours. Which right? Who they they're taking it back from? Like Herbal, right? I think. Uh is that? Oh, is that who it is? I, I think it is. I think she says makes some references to you know some pot reference. Yeah. Oh right. That's right. kind of oh, like his deal as a character, right? Good point. I heard her say that, and I didn't. I, I you know I knew it was a pot reference. The and she says, well, his pot plants are just going to have to. But I didn't realize. Hey, you're probably right. Now. Yeah. Well, yeah. Exactly. I'm not positive that i'm right but I'm, I'm pretty sure like they made that direct that reference because oh who's the guy who smokes pot oh it's the you know the the herbal right yeah. it's, it's the guy so. now of course as soon as max relaxes in the tub logan calls with tales of doom and gloom about a hit on a government witness she tells him she's got it covered stays in the water until the last minute uh and you know, we see then, you know, she arrives on her bike at the safe house and she, you know, she's like, see, I timed it perfectly and er everything is working out the way I knew it would. She sees the bad guys about to enter. <laughs> I love, she, she just drives right through the front door on her bike. Yeah. Well, you know, there's one thing, I guess it's kind of almost like a lack of continuity from the previous week. Cause the previous week, basically Logan was like, okay, I'm not going to be so obsessed with work. And she was, I'm not going to be so selfish. So here he calls on the phone saying, you got to get up right now and go get this guy. And she's like, eh, wait till after my bath. So he's obsessed with work. She's being a little selfish. There were no lessons learned last week at all. No, absolutely not. And uh, now the interesting thing, she, again, awesome scene. She drives through, grabs the witness, throws him on the back. While the feds and the, uh, or, or I guess the, the police and the bad guys are shooting it out and she gets him out of there and recognizes by his voice that it's Bruno, the guy she thought she killed at that motel that night when she played dead in the swimming pool. Yeah. And he thought she was dead too. Yeah. After bringing down Sonrisa. So, uh, you know, a really a, a good setup, uh, you know, I, I liked it. It's it's now that she's got to protect somebody that she just loathes, and you know, it's setting up quite nicely. Yeah, and, you know, we can kind of almost see the path ahead of us how, how this is going to go. But you know, I guess I have to admit, I was in your usual TV TV cliche type thing. Um, in the end, they're going to fall madly in love with one another, you know, and everything. And they uh, completely didn't go that way with uh, Bruno being, you know. It starts to go that way as, oh, Bruno really is a nice guy. And then, uh, nope, he really isn't. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, see, I mean, it, it's almost like a precursor to this, a show like The Sopranos where you've got this killer, but then he's got this other side of himself at home with his wife, with his kids. And, you know, the whole, at first I thought the whole thing with him and calling his kid was just you know some sort of a ruse but i mean it didn't really turn out to be right right oh no it's not a ruse it just kind of shows that you know even hitler had a mother as they say you know like there's there's always someone out there who cares about somebody and uh, just because bruno was able to produce a kid doesn't make him a good guy well no but he you know i mean it did seem like he had a good relationship with his daughter i mean his daughter did well sure seem... well but it's, it's easy to be good to your kids right? right it's are you good to other people's kids is the important thing well I think. that's true so uh 
So I guess the the A story in this episode really revolved around Max babysitting Bruno so that he can testify against the mayor, which is a pretty big deal. And, and you know, it's a, it's a story we've been following on and off for a few episodes in season one. So Max takes Bruno to Logan's where it's revealed that, you know, he regrets being tricked into killing his boss son, Risa, because, hey, you know, I got to break legs and I was paid well. And and then the police, I guess, made him an offer that he couldn't refuse, which, you know, testify for us. We'll put you in a witness relocation and the other guys won't kill you. Right. Which yeah, probably, honestly, did not really, f- f- you know, feel him full of confidence. I mean, we see why he would pull the burn again at the end well yeah because he's gonna testify that sonrisa was bribing the mayor and and in this kind of a situation that's usually not gonna turn out too well and and i don't know it's almost sort of naive of logan to think it it is gonna work out yeah well it's this belief i guess on both their parts that you know people like change and that someone can be a bad person but then all of a sudden do something good and I'm not going to totally discredit that, but I think by and large, it's probably not true. Yeah. Well, you know, Logan got the tip that the star witness, which obviously turns out to be Bruno, is going to be killed or, as he says, greased. And we find out that the mayor conspired with Sonrisa to keep the drug cortodiazepine, which was used to address what they call Balkan War Syndrome, I think, out of the hands of the veterans who needed it. And the twist to the story is that Bruno's the one that put Logan in the wheelchair. So, right. And, yeah. So it's this irony that the two people, Logan and Max, who are you know, protecting him, really kind of hate him a little bit. Well, yeah. And, it, and it's funny because obviously at first, Max just can't, as, he, as Logan says, can't wrap her head around it. And he says, look, if I can deal with it, you can deal with it. And I almost was a little surprised she didn't shoot right back at him because I mean, he's getting pretty bossy and, and I guess I feel like she, you know, nearly quit on him last time. Right. She said she'd had enough. Right. Well, Logan gives her some spending money, but she's got to, and all she's got to do is keep him alive for 24 hours. Uh, Apparently the safe house was less than ideal. And (laughs) did he really think she intended the handcuffs for sex? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I guess some guys are just so confident in their game, you know, that, that they just can't see beyond it. Oh, so. gosh, I guess. All right. Well, listen. We, yeah, but no, I'm, I'm with you. There. That that was definitely a big really. It's like, really? Yeah. All right. Now, like, now speaking of realists, because when we talked at work, you know, the first time after we both had seen the episode, you, you said to me, this thing was fraught with realies. Mm-hmm. And, okay, Max returns with the pizza. She yeah. returns. Really, yeah. <laughs> uh, all I got to do is keep this guy alive for 24 hours. He's a big state's witness and loads of people want to kill him. Okay. I'm going to go get the pizza. Yeah. I'll leave you here within reach of the phone. Right. Because. In case you want to call strippers. Right. Because places don't deliver pizza. I mean, we, yeah. we you know, I work for a delivery service, but no, I'm, I'm sure nobody delivers pizza. Right. So, yeah, right. She gets back and she finds Britannica and Ling Ling, a pair of strippers dancing to music. And, and, you know, it's funny because in my notes I had, is Bruno really this stupid? And and yes, because he's putting himself at risk. He knows that somebody's out to kill him. But as we said, more to the point, is Max really that stupid? And 
for whatever reason, well, you know what? On the other hand, maybe she did it on purpose that she wanted him to get killed. Well, that you know what? That's a possibility I, I did not entertain. But yeah, yeah, that, that could quite possibly be. Yeah. Well, it also. Se- I think it's just I, I chalk up the kind of bad writing a little bit. I mean, they could have come up with a more plausible way to get her out of there, and to you know, or you know, he had some more clever manner of ordering. I don't know. No, no, but, uh, no I know what you're saying, and, and you know, also it seems like it, it was sort of a part of a longer con on bruno's part but it's just so hard to tell because he does seem like a a real dope and she really never has so it's kind of out of character for for her so then you know when you say it's really bad writing i mean you're you're probably closer to being accurate at that point um yeah, I didn't say really bad. Just yeah, I know, you know what you're saying. Sure, not not great. Yeah, but but certainly, yeah, he's certainly does not pick up well on social cues. As almost throughout the whole episode, he is like constantly hitting on Max and you know feeling that he's still got a chance to make it with her. You know, right uh, now, Max decides. Okay, he's got the two strippers here. He had to call them somehow. We got to move to a different safe house since. This one's been compromised. So she takes them to a higher-end hotel where they're posing as a married couple, and there we get our comic relief a little bit, and, and I I enjoyed that. I thought that was pretty pretty funny. Bruno takes the bill from Max to tip the bellboy and asks for some champagne to be sent to the room. I'm like, okay, uh, I know that's going to really happen. Yeah, for a little bit, I was like kind of keeping track of how much money she was spending. It was quite a substantial amount there. Yeah. Now, now – you know, it's at this point, though, that Max, I'm sorry, that Bruno flashes back to his earlier meeting with Max, you know, back at the pool. And I'm wondering if this is when he got the idea to sell her out or did he already have it? I mean, was he really smart enough to have this long con, you know, from the beginning? I'm guessing no. I'm guessing it just came to him and he's making it up as he goes along. Yeah, that's a good question as to where the, you know, was he this whole thing, the Conrad from the beginning or, or did it come up sometime? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, not unclear. All right. Well, mistake number two, the old water running in the shower trick. Yeah. Come on, Max, you're better than this. I'm, I'm just flabbergasted that she fell for that. So she goes down, she realizes he's gone. The desk clerk tries to shake her down for 10%. He thinks she's a hooker. And I liked her setting him straight and clearing the way for, you know, the girls that do work there to keep their 10%. Uh, But he does tell her where the cab he called took him. And again, is Bruno this stupid or is it part of the longer con? That that's the prevailing question, right? Well, you know, I'm starting to think at this point, yes, he he knows she's going to be following him and, yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways he could have gone to avoid her finding him that easily. So I'm going with the long con. But Bruno starts a fight at the bar. I guess he certainly knew that Max would be there. Max has to finish it. But, right, but, but of course, all the bad guys, you know, rush her one at a time, you know, very sportingly. And as I recall, it's been a while, but I recall bar fights being much more chaotic and 
one group of people rushing on another. Not just one guy going up with his hands down on his side, getting punched in the face, falling down, and the next guy stepping up. Well, and the other thing is, you know, she's always been so careful about trying to blend in. I mean, you know, it's like you argue that that's why she stays at Jam Pony because it allows her to just pretty much be invisible. So why would you engage in a bar fight where you're kicking the ass of these guys that are like three times your size, you you know, you're just drawing attention to yourself. And, and that's in fact what she does where she tips off Johansson who verifies then that Bruno's Intel about the girl was good and says, he's going to need the team, uh, you know, I guess to bring her in. And then, you know, back at the hotel, we get mistake number three, Bruno insists that he call his daughter before bedtime. And Max goes to get the freaking ice really <laughs> yeah th- that one was just beyond the beyonds you know that I, th- I thought and that whole thing was uh with him calling his daughter i was convinced that that was just bs the whole way and that you know like getting her to leave the room that as soon as she left the room he was was going to be gone again um yeah, what's Max thinking though? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess in this case though, it it does turn out better because you know she's getting the ice and she sees the super soldiers throw the desk clerk around, necessitating another escape on their end. She takes him to I don't know. I'm calling it shanty town. I mean, because it really wasn't Chinatown. It didn't look like, um, but not before dropping her pager at the hotel, which now, you know these goons super soldiers whatever they are um, inferior super soldiers i guess as it turns out yeah but uh yeah well yeah and as you said the the ridiculous plot point of her going out to get the ice ends up yeah working out because then she gets the she sees the guys and so they're able to leave but i just can't help thinking that there would be a more plausible way that they could have that happen than you know which clearly she's not going to leave this guy alone ever uh after he already tried to escape once. So, you know, why would she do that? I don't know. Yeah. Now, you know, she calls Logan tell, and he tells her to be careful, which produces a little smile on her face, which I liked, but mistake number four, before going to the courthouse, Bruno tells Max that he's got to go to the park to meet his daughter. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And he tells her, you know, don't worry. Mary Jo knows how to avoid a tale. Like most wives know how to make a casserole which was the highlight of the, I think, of the dialogue of this episode. So, right. <laughs> you know, um, although uh, his wife does follow it up with, oh, you're here with my husband. You have to be a stripper. Yeah. And, you know, we could obviously we've seen the evidence there of why she might say something like that. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, then it, it kind of got serious for a little bit. And Max asks Bruno why he's testifying. And I mean, obviously, on the one hand, the easy answer is, well, to stay alive, because if I don't testify, then they're not going to let me go into witness relocation and I'll get greased anyway. But, you know, he tells her it's so his daughter has something to be proud of. Are you buying it? Well, I did at the time. Um, I definitely did. But as it turned out, you know, with the burn, then no, I don't buy it now. Yeah, because I definitely... Did he maybe have somewhat of an idea of that? You know, I, I really, the, based on what happened at the end, you just have to say no, that, that this whole thing is part of the game. I'm sure he loves his kid, but he had no qualms at all about being, like, the good guy, about being heroic in, in his kid's eyes. Yeah. 
Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you're right. I, and I definitely agree with that. Now, uh, it appears Bruno's not going to show up to testify. So for the second time, we get to see Max bursting into a building on her motorcycle. Uh, but this time she's got Bruno, who then testifies. But as he's testifying, the courthouse is evacuated because of a bomb threat that's called in by the guys that are paying Bruno to get Max. And as she tries to get him out of the courthouse, it becomes pretty clear that uh, Bruno sold her out. And so he gets killed, right? Bruno? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he definitely yeah. got shot. And, and you know, he's not a superhero. He's not a super soldier. Right. So... Right. When is so dead he just, dead? He better be dead. When, when Bruno gets shot, is yeah. when dead is Although dead. Although he got, shot, so at, far as he we got shot at the motel back in the day. True. Uh, um, well, all right. So Max fights it out with the three red guys. Logan drives in the underground garage, shoots a couple of them, and Max jumps in the car. And, you know, we find out that the mayor is going to be indicted on 149 counts of murder, which I guess is the number of soldiers that died as a result of not having that, mm-hmm. uh, that drug. Logan's tending to Max's wounds. And again, she says, I need to get my ass kicked once in a while just to keep me real. And then maybe the most telling line of the whole episode when she tells Logan, you don't have to tell me to be afraid. I'm already there. So I guess the question is, I mean, we know she's afraid of Lydecker, even though we didn't see him in this episode. And and I guess the other you know, storyline tonight deals with this other super soldier project. Is that what she's afraid of, I guess? Well, I mean, she's, I, w- I would be afraid, even if I were a super soldier, that, you know, guys that I shot don't die. Guys that I tased right in the heart for extended periods of time, or was, she a, was it a taser or a cattle prod? She had, I yeah, was a I taser. can't remember. Um, you know, that they just shrug it off like it's nothing. It's like, wow. Well, you know, what, what I was going to do for the Do We Care was something about super soldiers and you know that now granted this is 2001 which certainly predates most of the super soldier shows that that have been airing in the you know the last decade even and before that you know certainly the x-files had their super soldier episodes but you know i like what they did with this one i mean she sees the three super soldiers enter the hotel uh, first of all do they talk i guess not but what we yeah. what we find out is that they are flawed and not flawed like, say, the Manticore uh, uh, kids are where, you know, Max has the seizures. Um, what, what, was, what was the other problem? Now I can't. Oh, the, the, proge- the progeria, progeria. Right. Yeah. This super soldier project needs a Manticore prototype. So as a storyline that we certainly feel will be recurring, um, I really like the introduction because now it almost sets up a triangle between uh, this super soldier program, Lydiger and Manticore, and then of course Max and the other uh, Manticore kids trying to evade now two threats. Right. Well, we knew there was, you know, that it's a bad place out there, and we figured there'd be more baddies than just Manticore. And of course, you know, as each week progresses, the question comes up: Is is Manticore really that bad? Well, yeah. You know, Compared to these other guys, right? Well, that yeah, true. I mean, I haven't seen anything good. I mean, you know, look, it's it's really weird this affinity, this affection, if you will, that that Lydiger shows for his kids. But I guess at the end of the day, 
he does just treat them like tools, right? Like that deal he made with that one guy, you know, that, that needed an assassin. He says, you know, my kids have never let you down. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm saying. That's the complexity of Lydicker that, yeah. that there is. Yeah. Now we do see though, Logan gets that video footage from the hotel and watches as one of the super soldiers puts his hand through an elevator door while, while yeah, it's closed. Mind crazy. You. <laughs> and, uh, then says he needs to go see Sebastian. Sebastian was freaking cool. Okay. Well, yeah. well, we do find out that the problem is the clotting agent is too thin. One soldier's arm won't stop bleeding and they need max or really any of the Manticore prototypes to, you know, I, I guess solve their clotting problem, but all right. So Sebastian, which, you know, clearly his character is a nod to Stephen Hawking, mm-hmm. um, tells Logan that these are known as the Red Series, which I thought was freaking cool. <laughs> just, just the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a pretty tough name. South Africans have uh, implanted locks into their brain and disables their pain receptors. So, right. I mean, they're they're really strong, and I guess. Nothing hurts them, so. Okay. Yeah, but so I get that they're really strong, but does that if if like for example, should I punch an elevator door in? Uh, whether I feel pain or not, I'm pretty sure my hand's still going to break. Right. I mean, it just seems so simplistic that. Okay, I get that. Maybe this was stage one. Let's get to this point so they can do these things, but. It almost seems like these red series prototypes were just, you know, released into the wild way before they were really ready. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, and how they fight and everything. It's just not very disciplined and they're not as good as Max. Well, right, that that's the one you guy know. says that that she's much better trained than they are. Yeah, and and uh you know, so just because you can't feel pain doesn't mean you can actually fight or that you have any kind of skill or anything. No. So um and so we learn, and again, this is from Sebastian, and it'll be curious whether we see him again. I'm I'm hoping so. I thought he was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, he, he seems like a character. Why would they just throw him in for just, you know, like that little bit? Right, and, you know, again, now now that we've got Lydecker and, you know, the, this Red Series to contend with, you know, they're, they're going to need some more technical expertise. So, like we said, the bodies can't take the punishment. Like you're saying, you know, you can't just start beating uh, an elevator door and not think there aren't going to be repercussions. And we right. find out or get shot. Well, right? They yeah, they haven't figured out how to uh, evade a bullet yet. But they burn out six months to a year, and obviously, what you know comes out of this is that they need a Manticore prototype to you know solve their issues. Now, right. You know, I, I was a little surprised because, you know, there there is a, a third story going on, but it's just so brief, yet I, I guess I thought it was pretty important, and that was Logan reliving his shooting and his ultimate right. par- paralysis. Yeah, almost masochistically going back over the tape. It's like, dude. Yeah, I mean, Bling finds him there, like, watching the video footage, and, and like you said, just, you know, rewinding and watching, rewinding and watching and then Bling asks him, you know, how he got the tape, and he got it the way he gets everything. He has money. Right. And he says, what else yeah. have I got? And, and 
All right, feeling sorry for himself, and and I guess a little bit, yeah. But I, I guess why now? I mean, look, I mean, we know we established last time, not that we didn't know it earlier, but that you know he has feelings for Max. Uh, it's not clear what her feelings are for him. I mean, look, obviously being forced to work with the man who shot him was difficult because because he didn't know it was Bruno. He just knew it was a government witness. Right, right. But I don't know. It seemed like a little more than that. And I'm guessing it's got something to do with Max, but. Well, I, I think, you know, basically it's that these episodes are written on a week-to-week basis, you know, monster of the week thing. So the continuity from one to the other is not spectacular. We mentioned this earlier, or I mentioned it, with the, um, you know, they're kind of completely contradicting what they resolved to do at the end of last week. They go against it entirely at the very beginning of this week. Um, And then, you know, this, and and Logan falling back into this kind of self-pitying despair, we had seen that earlier, but we had kind of figured by last week that maybe he'd gotten over it a little bit. But, uh, you know, for him to be now back here, I just think it's kind of chalk it up mostly to, you know, they, they didn't re- really necessarily write these out in an arc or in a particular order. And that some things, there's going to be inconsistencies, cause especially we have different people writing different scripts. Well, you know, and the other thing I think we, we both have learned series back at this time period, you know, uh, 2000, 2001, that, that very often they didn't get aired in the intended order. Now, now granted so far, there has been a reasonably good progression. I mean, it's not as if, uh, uh, you know, it's not like what they did with firefly for crying out loud, but, um, right. But yeah. And, and for the most part, things make sense. Just like if you're, you know, kind of nitpicking a little bit, you know, you notice certain things that are, you know, don't now don't quite jive with the way the story was going at the end of the previous week. Yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, as an episode, it, I mean, it, it definitely furthered the overall story arc a little bit, you know, I mean, it, we got the introduction to the red series sets up, uh, you know, another baddie that's going to be after Max and the Manticore kids, you know, a, a hint that, that something's going on with Logan that that obviously Max doesn't know about this yet, but you know beyond that, it did. I mean, it was a good story. I liked it, but you know, I mean, I, you know, I give it a solid B. Yeah, I, I'd give it maybe a B plus A minus because I just I liked the interaction there with Bruno. Um, and honestly, I don't. I ha- if I'm being honest, I did not see that plot twist coming at the end. I thought they were going to go the conventional. I thought Bruno was going to die. I thought he was going to die like, you know, heroic and self-sacrificing. And, oh, he really is a good guy. He likes to read Goodnight Moon to his kids, which, by the way, is like the, the best children books, children's book ever. You know, but they, they totally flipped and said, okay, well, I know what you're expecting. You're usually watching a TV show at this point. The bad guy's going to turn out to be a good guy. He's going to get shot and killed, but he's going to die heroic. Everybody's going to say, oh, he really was a good guy. But no, he turns out to be a total jerk still. Uh, and that he sets up Max to be sold and, uh, you know, and, and gets killed. And yes, is, you know, revered as a hero, like in the press later. But uh, the audience still knows that you know he's still a bad guy. Yeah. Now you know I got to tell you, Wayne, I've been so tempted to research 
whether or not Logan is ever going to walk again. <laughs> just you just can't I, take. The- <laughs> I know. I just can't take. You know, and it's funny because, you know, I, I try to find a, a photo, and as I've mentioned many times, there it's really yeah. difficult to find. Don't really exist. Good yeah. quality stills. Uh, and even if they did, just you know, Michael Weatherly standing up next to Jessica Alba doesn't really mean, necessarily mean that. Right. It's just a promo picture, right? So I, you know, I don't know, but I am coming across a few things, but. Um, I don't know. Uh, anything else you want to throw out about? Well, this I just, you know, like, but since you just raised that, I mean, I've said it before, I'm pretty sure that, especially with the little hints they're dropping in, and he's got Blake in there, and he's working on it. So it, it seems like there's this possibility he could walk again. If they're kind of setting this up with that possibility, you know it's going to happen. Yeah, with that bullet so. fragment that that's moving, you know, maybe it's going right. to move, you know, in a advantageous way. So... Uh, well, listen, we don't ordinarily do this. And again, I'm putting you on the spot. This just kind of was, Uh-oh. Yeah, well, that's, again, it's not too bad. Um, okay. Are, are, are you planning to see Interstellar? I really do want to see it. The problem being is, Dave, I don't know if you knew that I have two kids that play hockey. I do. But it's, you know, hockey season is not that we're not busy the rest of the time, but hockey season's like, man, there's no, there's like two days Every weekend, Saturday and Sunday, both kids have games on each day. And so it's, man, it's tough. I really want to see that movie, though. Uh, my kids, Sean and Brendan, want to see it, too. They both brought it up. And then when I said, hey, you know, because they've seen uh, Inception. I was like, that's the guy who did Inception. The Batman movies are like, no way. Oh, we totally got to see it. You know? um, Wait, well, you, so, the reason I bring it up, and, and I guess I wanted to see it. Now, I'm not a Matthew McConaughey fan. Um, oh, I mean, you know, it's funny. Blasphemy. I liked him a lot in We Are Marshall. You saw that, right? Yeah. No, actually, I did. That's I didn't see that. Oh, one. that's a great flick. I mean, that's definitely something you could watch with your with your sons. Um, yeah, it's very sad. At the beginning, well, though, it is, but thing. it's it's really a great film. A great film, and, and and he's really good in it. I so I do like him in that. Um, is Randy Moss in that? Who? Randy Moss. Uh, no. I did get that though. Yes. Um, but anyway, you know, I, today riding in the car, I'm thinking like, okay, I'm just listening to the radio. I'm just listening to WBAL. In fact, the guy who's usually talking conservative politics is talking about this film. And I'd seen news articles in the paper, uh, and even online that have talked about, apparently there are many plot holes in this story and I'm like, Oh, okay. That that's cool. But I also know some other plot twists that I know I will really like. Anyway, bottom line is I should have just changed the channel, changed the station because now I, I know far more about this film spoilers uh, than I, than I wish. I mean, I'm Uh, I'm still going to see it. I mean, obviously I'm not going to go to the theater to see it because I don't go to the theater to see anything. (laughs) Right. Um, it does seem really cool. So I am looking forward to actually seeing it once it gets out on DVD. But um, I mean, Christopher Nolan is just a freaking genius and all of his movies are amazing. So yeah, of course I, I want to see it. Uh, I don't, I just don't think, I don't know if it's going to happen. Yeah. Well, it'll happen eventually. It just might not, right. it, might, it just might not happen while it's out at the theater. Right. And you know, if I, 
if I, I wait till it comes down Blu-ray, then yeah, I have a Blu-ray player, I have an HD TV, I have a surround sound system. Isn't really not much different than going to see it in the theater, except you know I have more comfortable seat. Yeah, and uh, and I can have beer, and the food's free. Well, not right. free, but freer. <laughs> right, much much freer. Yeah. So, all right. Well, listen, we want to thank you guys for joining us tonight. And if you'd like to send some feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Emails to fatalistpodcast at gmail dot com or voicemails via SpeakPipe, which you can access through the Fatalist website. We'll be back next week to talk about Dark Angels, episode 12, titled, hey, we get a title that's more than one word next week, Art Attack. So, until next time. Dave, there's no way we can be done. We didn't get to the kittens and the mittens.